Today's verse is Genesis 1-1, which reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Spanish, it reads like this, En el principio creó Dios los cielos y la tierra. Had a little rearranging to do there for a second, but uh, wanted to once again give a shout out to our worship leaders. Uh, if you didn't get a chance earlier this week, they got to do a really cool in-home concert from their house that we live streamed. Um, they have been writing original music for several years under the band name Evergreen Worship, so they were able to perform a lot of those Evergreen Worship songs on their uh in, in this live stream that happened on Tuesday. So if you didn't get a chance to watch it, I would encourage you go back in our feed on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, wherever you're watching this, and you uh, should be able to see that concert that they did. Um, we got a lot of really good response, and I think it was really great. Um, we're really excited about having that opportunity here at Wayfarers to have um, original music that is produced by members of the church here. And we're hoping to get a lot more of you involved with that uh, here soon, too. So, you know, be on the lookout for more of those opportunities. So today we are, uh, we're, we're finally starting our, our next sermon series. We, we followed along on these first few weeks with our sermon series focusing on the gospel, on the good news, which is something that we should all know. We all know the gospel. Many of us who are Christians, we've heard it, especially if you've grown up in the United States, you have heard of the gospel before. But hopefully through my uh, series there at the beginning, through my sermon and what you heard from Noah, our teaching pastor, you were able to see that there are some other sides to the gospel that maybe we don't hear. Um, the good news really is good news for a lot of different people and in a lot of different ways. And so being able to look at the gospel from those different perspectives, um, I'm hoping that it was as encouraging to you as it was for me to kind of remind myself of a lot of those truths and see that that is what the gospel is really all about. It really is good news, isn't it? So if you did not get a chance to... Uh, to uh, watch those sermons, uh, same thing goes. I would encourage you, go back, go to our YouTube, go to our Facebook page. You uh, can kind of catch up, watch some of the other sermons, and see uh, some of that good news for yourself. But like I said, today we are starting a new series, and we're going to kind of take a different approach with this series. Um, some of you may have heard of the term exegetical preaching before. It's a nice, big, fancy word, big Bible college word. Basically, it just means that we're going to be preaching. We're going to go through verse by verse in uh, sections of the Bible where we want to kind of get into some of the things that are hard to understand sometimes, some of the passages that we might struggle with, some of the ones that you read and you're just kind of like, I don't really understand what that's saying. Those are usually the passages that preachers will just kind of skip over. They go to the ones that are that are easy to follow, the ones that are easy to preach from. But we really think that there's something valuable in just in not leaving anything out, going verse by verse all the way through a passage so that by the end of it, we can kind of all together say, yeah, I feel like I, I totally understood that. And so today we are going to start at the very, very beginning. As you heard in that scripture video there at the beginning, the the we are starting at the beginning of it all in the book of Genesis with the very first verse of the book of Genesis. Many of you know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So why are we starting with Genesis and why are we starting with this first verse? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons is just that the book of Genesis really sets up 
a lot of the rest of the Bible. Um, there are references back to Genesis throughout the rest of the Bible. It is kind of this foundational book that sets the stage for everything that's going to go on. And especially these very first few verses of Genesis that we're going to focus on. They are things that get referenced and they get uh, brought up over and over and over again as you follow through the rest of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. And lots of times, if you have not taken the time to study this very beginning part of the book of Genesis, some of those references will just kind of go over your head. Um, I think a lot of uh, the uh, scene with Captain America in the very first Marvel Avengers movie where where he's just not, he's not catching any of the references and then there's this one moment in the movie where he's like, I caught that reference. I understood that. I know what that reference is. That is the feeling that I want you to have when you go through the rest of the Bible. I want you to see these Genesis references, which I promise you, they come up a lot. It is one of those things that comes up over and over and over again. And I want you to be able to catch those references. I don't want those to go over your head. I know for me, they get what they went over my head for a long time. I'm somebody that grew up in the church. I feel like I know the Bible pretty well. And a lot of these Genesis references, I didn't understand because I had not taken the time to do what we're going to do in this series, which is just go verse by verse through the book of Genesis. But there is another reason that Genesis kind of helps. And um, it's, it's, a little bit difficult to explain, so the best way that I would explain it is just by kind of making an analogy, connecting it to something that we are familiar with. If any of you have ever looked at a map, not like a not like Google Maps, but you know old school maps, you know the kind that you <laughs> open up. Maybe you had maybe when you were a kid, you had to help your parents uh, navigate an atlas on road trips and things like that. But any any of those maps that you might have seen in school or something like that, those printed maps, you would uh, find kind of in the bottom corner of those maps a map legend, um, which is kind of this, this, this little box in the bottom corner. It's got a whole bunch of symbols and it's got words next to it that help you understand, uh, what each of those symbols mean. I really think that the book of Genesis and especially these first few verses functions like a map legend for this kind of journey as you take through the rest of the Bible. There are certain symbols that are going to get repeated over and over again. There are certain phrases, certain words that come up a lot in other parts of the Bible. And those phrases represent other things. They represent kind of these grander, bigger ideas. And they all get introduced in Genesis in these first few chapters. And uh, that, that map legend, if you don't know what the symbols mean, <laughs> you, you don't know the way. And so, uh, you know, kind of riffing on the name of the church here, we're, we're wayfarers, we're followers of the way, we want to know the way. You got to start with the map legend. You got to understand what each of those symbols mean. So because of that, for all of those reasons, we're going to just dive straight into the book of Genesis. Now, before I go straight in, though, (laughs) there is uh, a couple of ground rules that I have to lay here. Now, uh, you saw my brother, Jeremy. He was the one that read the scripture verse at the very beginning. Um, He read it both in uh, in Spanish and in English. We grew up bilingual. It's uh, one of those awesome experiences of having an American dad and Hispanic mom. We got that kind of multiple experience, so we got to see the Bible from multiple perspectives. And it's just me and my brother. He's my only sibling. Um, And kind of one of the fun parts about being an older brother as we were growing up is that as we would uh, as we would play games, I was always the one that got to 
decide on the rules. I got to set the rules for the game. So if we were playing tag, I was the one that was like, this is where base is going to be. This is where you're safe. If I was always going to be the one that set the rules. The problem is I'm very competitive and I don't really play fair. <laughs> so if you ever get a chance to ask my brother, Jeremy, you will know that I had this tendency to change the rules on him lots of times, especially if it got to this point to where he was looking like he was going to win. I would say, no, 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 no. You forgot about this one rule. Uh, you have to touch base and then you have to run back over here or you 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 can't hide there that that's 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 not allowed that's out of bounds i was kind of always adding these extra rules to the game which I know for him made it super, super frustrating. And I uh, still remember the point where um, I guess he just kind of got old enough to where he was like just not having it anymore. And he was saying, look, before we start this game, let's set all of the rules and you can't add any extra. We are setting the ground rules right now at the very beginning. That's what I want to do today with Genesis. And the reason I want to do that is because this book gets really controversial <laughs> for a lot of people, um, especially when it comes to terms of uh, concepts of, of creationism versus evolution, when it comes to questions about uh, the beginnings of the universe or the origins of sin. This is one of those books that kind of gets... Um, has been debated and argued for the history of the church and in just throughout all of our culture. It is one that can get really, really dicey really, really quick. And so before we dive in, I just wanted to kind of take a little bit of this time during this sermon today to, to set a few ground rules uh, that we're going to use for the book of Genesis. And they're going to be just kind of ground rules that I, I want to use as we go forward in all of the books of the Bible that we're studying. Whatever it is that we're studying, um, these, these are kind of the ground rules. And I'm going to introduce a few of them throughout this series. But to Today we're starting with the first one, and it's just kind of the, 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 the biggest one that's going to sound a little bit weird, but uh, I'll explain it to you uh, here in a second. But the rule is simply that the Bible is written for us. It is not written to us. Now, that <laughs> may not sound like such a big deal, but it really has been a big deal in changing how I read the Bible. Now, I'm not, I'm absolutely saying that the Bible is relevant, that God speaks through his word to us. It is something that helps us each and every day. That's why I said the Bible is written for us. It's absolutely for us. It absolutely is something that can help us. But the main thing about all of the Bible is that it is not written to us. The, the, the words in the various books of the Bible are not directly directed at us. It's easy for us to see that in the New Testament. There's New Testament books, um, for example, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you read the beginning of the book, you can clearly see that this book is a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. So you know who's, who's speaking and who he's speaking to. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It is written to the Corinthians for us. That is a book of the Bible that is written to the Corinthians, and God uses that book for us. To help us. But I'm really starting to firmly believe that this is the case in all of the books of the Bible, every single one, all the way back to Genesis. They are written to a particular audience. There's a particular group of people in mind that are supposed to be reading that book, the original hearers of that book. That is who is written to. And then we get the uh, awesome opportunity of getting to listen in on that conversation. And that is where the, the, the value of the Bible really comes forward for us. That is how God uses the Bible for us. The example I've given for a lot of people, I'm, I'm a big fan of listening to podcasts. I don't know about any of y'all if that's... Uh, 
entertainment that you have. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's kind of a problem. <laughs> uh, how many? I don't know how I find the time to, but I just, I love learning. I love listening to a lot of different podcasts. I like a lot of different sports podcasts, NBA podcasts, especially about the Grizzlies. Love to listen to any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like fun radio shows that you can listen to on demand. But I remember there was this this meme I saw a few <laughs> uh, months ago that just perfectly describes uh, what a podcast is. I think we're going to throw it up on the screen here real quick. And so <laughs> the meme shows, uh, you know, this, this guy, he's sitting there, uh, sitting with a uh, a group of people that are laughing and having a good time and um he is uh you know the the people are plastered on the side of that uh ice cream container i think it is and uh, or freezer box here and he's just kind of sitting there like he's joining in he's overhearing the conversation it's really funny this is what i have enjoyed about podcasts a lot of my favorite podcasts have that they're they're groups of people that are sitting there talking they're all having a conversation lots of times they're really funny people that are you know cracking jokes talking to each other and i'm just kind of a, another person that's listening in and i feel like that 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 picture just perfectly describes how I feel listening to a lot of podcasts. I'm just that guy that's listening in on the jokes, getting to participate in it all. But I'm a passive listener. I'm somebody that's listening and I'm not directly involved in what's going on. This is the, the rule that I think is important for us to understand in any book of the Bible, but especially Genesis. There is a particular group of people that this book is uh, directed Towards. This particular group of people are the ones that are listen that uh, are the original hearers of this conversation, and we are listening in. So, now that I've laid all those ground rules, let's just get to the verse specifically itself. So, Genesis one one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the two big words in that first verse are the heavens and the earth. Um, if you use a digital Bible like I do on my phone, you might see kind of a little uh, little button or a little letter next to uh, each of those words, heavens and the earth. And you can kind of click on that and it'll pull up a whole bunch of other verses where this, this word comes up. Um, if you're using a printed Bible, you'll see the same thing. There'll usually be like a little small letter that points you down to the bottom of the page where you can see all of the other times that this word comes up. And both of those words, especially the heavens and the earth, are something that comes up all of the time. They are, if you click on the link, you're going to find a million other times when this particular passage comes up in, in the same context, in the same way that it's being used in this very first verse in Genesis 1, 1. But if I had to just kind of describe it simply and succinctly, how these original hearers, the original Israelites that were listening to this, uh, this first verse, the, the original hearers of this first verse, if I had to just kind of sum up generally what those words meant for them, uh, heaven is just specifically this realm where God or the gods are, and earth is the realm where humans are. Now, I never understood any of that context whenever I was reading that verse. I just kind of assumed this is just a fancy poetic way of saying God created everything. He created the heavens. He created the earth. You know, he created it all. But there's a very particular reason that this is the very first verse that it starts with. Because the, in, in that ancient culture, the very first listeners of this verse, they had this two-world view of the world, these two realms view of the world. There was the heavenly realms, and then there was the earth where humans live. Now, 
Um, the heavenly realms, as I mentioned before, is the realm of God, of God or the gods. They had this view of lots of spiritual beings. There's all kinds of other spiritual beings, angels and demons and all these spiritual beings. And they, they had to live somewhere. So they lived in the heavens. That was the word that they used in the heavens. And then the earth was our realm. That's where humans lived. That was the physical realm that we were all familiar with. They were kind of these two separate realms. And the reason that the, uh, Genesis 1-1 starts with this verse is because as far as the ancient people were concerned, both the, the Israelites and all of the other peoples around them, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, as far as all of them were concerned, the heavens had always kind of existed. With the, that, that place where all these spiritual beings lived, that was that was a thing that was just kind of always around. They, they had their gods. They all had multiple gods. The heavens had always existed. And they had their own creation stories, their own ways of beginning their holy books. But the way theirs, their books became, began is it was always about how the earth was created. The heavens had just kind of always existed. And then they were going to tell you the story of how the earth was created. In fact, there's a, a, a creation story, another one, that follows a lot of the same words as this Genesis 1-1 creation story, and that is the ancient uh, Babylonian creation story. There is a lot of similarities between the way the Babylonians described the beginnings of creation and the way that uh, the Israelites were hearing it for the first time in Genesis. A lot of the same words are used, a lot of the same phrases are used. There's certain kind of more skeptical scholars that, that think the Bible is not really anything to, to, to follow. They think the Bible is all made up. And they like to point to this a lot. They like to point to a lot of these similarities between this Babylonian creation story and the Israelite creation story that we see in Genesis. They, they, they like to argue that the Israelites were just, were just copying the Babylonians. They were, you know, just kind of copying, copying their homework and just tweaking a little bit so the teacher couldn't find out. You know, that, that, was, that was the goal of what a lot of these people think that you see in Genesis 1-1. But I think that one of the values is not in looking at the similarities, but rather at looking at the differences. Where is what the Israelites were hearing about the beginnings of the world, where was that different than what everybody else had heard? And I think one of the key ways that it is different is that it starts with God as creator of not just the earth, but the heavens as well. God is the creator of all of it. God is the all-powerful creator. If I had to sum up one kind of point that I think this whole first section of Genesis is trying to get it across to us, it is that God is the creator, the powerful creator of all of it. And so this is a really big deal. This would have been really, really hard to hear for a lot of the ancient people who would have first been listening to this verse because in their world, there were lots of gods. There were all of these different gods that were always kind of there battling it out. That's kind of how the Babylonian creation uh, myth goes. In, in, in the Babylonian myth, all of these gods in the heavens, they have this big fight. And out of this crazy fight, that's how the earth is formed. But the Israelites have this different creation story that actually says that God himself is above all of that. He's the one that created not only the earth, but the heavens themselves. He is all-powerful. He is the creator God. And the amazing thing is that this creator God, this all-powerful God, is the one that has specifically chosen the people of Israel to be his own 
people. He is all-powerful. He is the creator God with all the power and authority. And that is the God that is the God of Israel. It's not one of these other lesser spiritual beings that a lot of these other uh, nations worship. It's not one of these other beings that have to do these weird, uh, crazy wrestling matches to create. No, God is the creator God who has created everything. He is above it all. He is the all-powerful creator God. And that is the God that is the God of Israel. Now, that may be a little bit hard for some of us to hear. Some of you may be kind of uncomfortable with some of the things I'm saying. You know, if, if, if it's uh, the first time you may have heard some of those similarities between the uh, Old Testament creation and some of the other stories in um, other creation myths for the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Assyrians. I'd encourage you, you can go online, you can Google it. It's something that you know, kind of comes up a lot, especially here recently. A lot of people have been kind of making a big deal about it. I don't really think it's as huge a deal, though, because it, I really think what the Israelites are doing is that they, they are doing something that all of us do all of the time. We always uh, kind of take the language and the phrasing and the things that we that people in our general culture are already used to. And we and we will take that 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 phrase and we'll tweak it a little bit to say something different to say what we're actually trying to say. I've kind of kind of got a weird uh, way to explain it, but I think it uh, it really hits the nail on the head on exactly what I think is happening here. So we all know that with the beginning of uh, Donald Trump's campaign, he had this famous phrase that he used as his campaign slogan, which was "Make America Great Again." You got the hats made and everything. It kind of became the whole like uh, phrase for all Donald Trump supporters just in general. Um, it got shortened just to MAGA, you know, make America great again. And it's this phrase that um, from a marketing perspective just spread like wildfire. Those people, everyone got those those hats that said make America great again. It was one of these things that just kind of uh, spread throughout our entire culture. But what I was really interested in was not in the phrase that he used specifically himself, but some of the, the tweaks or the, or the changes to that phrase that you started to see later on. Um, I personally have a friend who owns a, a coffee company here in town um, that is uh, specifically a black-owned coffee company, and he is uh, wanting to really uh, look at the sourcing of coffee, really wanting to kind of just change coffee culture in Memphis specifically, and uh, make a culture, which, you know, this kind of high-end coffee culture tends to generally be like a hipster white thing, some, something that people like me would be really into. And he's trying to, to help a lot of his own black brothers and sisters uh, get really into coffee. And he is a big proponent, especially of, of black coffee. You know, he's like, don't, don't water it down with anything. Don't put cream or sugar. Black coffee. And so shortly after the uh, campaign of Donald Trump, he started to use this phrase with his company where he just started saying, make coffee black again. That was his, that was his phrase that he was using all the time. He's got to make coffee black again. He got shirts printed with it. Uh, it's got, it's like stickers all over the place. And that spread like wildfire. Part of the reason it spread like wildfire is because people knew the original phrase he was referencing and they loved that tweak. They loved that change about what he was talking about. And he it just kind of perfectly summed up a lot of what he was talking about. I also have another friend that I used to work with in a coffee shop who's like a hardcore libertarian as far as politics go. And so uh, if you know anything about libertarians, you know that they are not big fans of taxation. And uh, there was a, another libertarian guy that he used to follow that um, 
had made up these hats that looked a lot like the Make America Great Again hats, but they said, make ta taxation theft again, because that's kind of the big libertarian phrase. Taxation is theft. And so he was saying, make taxation theft again. And I could go on and on. I'm sure all of you have seen a million different riffs and, and changes on the Make America Great Again phrase. And lots of them, in fact, are, are changes that are specifically made as criticisms of Donald Trump and his Make America Great Again phrase itself. I think that is what we are seeing here in the beginning of Genesis. We are, they are using the, the original creation uh, myths, the, the stories and the language and the words that a lot of the ancient peoples were already used to, but, but they're tweaking them a little bit. They're, they're riffing on them a little bit. I think when the early Israelites heard this very first verse, when they, the original listeners heard Genesis 1-1, they would have heard that... Uh, that idea that God was the creator, but their ears would have perked up a little bit at that idea. God is the creator of both the heavens and the earth. And the kind of incredible thing about that is that this all-powerful creator that uh, created both the heavens and the earth is a God who wants to be with us. He does not want those two realms that they were familiar with, this heavenly realm and this earthly realm, to stay separate, but rather he is a God who is all about bringing the heavenly and earthly realm together. Now, I was going to go into some details explaining this point a little bit further, but I actually found a really cool video online by this group called The Bible Project. I love The Bible Project. I love all the things that they do. Tim Mackey is the uh, kind of like head theologian over there, and they have these incredible YouTube videos. I would encourage you to go check out their uh, channel, look up what The Bible Project has to say. But The Bible Project had a, a kind of a short video that explains exactly this point about God wanting to bring heaven and earth together and how he does it specifically in Jesus. So rather than just kind of uh, rehashing it and saying it worse, than I think Tim Mackey can say it in the Bible Project video. I thought I would just play the video for you so that you could see uh, that connection, see exactly what it is that I'm saying. That this creator God is a God who has created both the heavens and the earth, but he's wanting to bring those two realms together, and he does it in Jesus. So rather than me explaining it badly, watch this video, and I'll come back and finish up after that. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature. But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning. 
where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you said that these spaces can overlap though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty. But human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus's story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, behold, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice 
has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So hopefully you enjoyed that video as much as I did whenever I was looking it up. I remember I was doing research for this sermon. I pulled it up and I just thought, you know what? We're just going to show the video. It's going to explain it a lot quicker and a lot more succinctly than I'm going to be able to. And that's actually a pretty old Bible Project video. I, I was looking it up. It's almost like six years old. They've been making a lot of videos since then. Their animation style has gotten way better. The explanations have been really awesome. So again, I encourage you go check out their YouTube channel. It's the Bible Project. You can find a lot more information about a lot of those different topics. But part of the reason that it was one of the very first videos that they did is because Tim Mackey, the guy that runs the Bible Project, also believes that this point is very very important. The fact that uh, the goal of the, of the human life is not to kind of leave this earth and, and go to heaven, but rather it is the joining together of heaven and earth. Those two realms, those two separate realms are ones that come together. You see that at the very end of the book of Revelation, you see the new Jerusalem, this new city of God coming down from heaven, from the heavens, it says, to earth. Those two are united, and what Revelation says is that God is now with his people. A lot of times when I've heard the story of the Bible summarized, I've heard, I've, had it, I've heard it just really focused on us, on human beings, on what we've done. So a lot of people will talk about when they're summarizing the gospel, they will start focusing on the fact that we are sinners, we need a, a redemption for our sins, therefore God sent Jesus to save us, take uh, the, the punishment for our sins, give us that forgiveness. And lots of times the words they use is so that we can go to heaven. But if you heard my uh, second sermon just from a few weeks ago, you'll know that this is something that is a, is a big point for me. This is very important for me, that God made the earth, he made it good, and he wants us to be a part of it. So what I think the way that I like to talk about what God's plan is, is that he is doing just that. He is bringing heaven and earth together, those two realms that he is the creator of. He is bringing those two realms together so that he can be with his people. That kind of old way of explaining the whole story of the Bible is usually called uh, redemption history. Um, but this specific way of, of focusing on God being with his people is called uh, Emmanuel history. That phrase, that name Emmanuel, if you're familiar with the gospel stories later on, this is the name that is said is the name to be given to Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel and Emmanuel means God with us. In Jesus, those two realms are being brought together. 
the Israelites used to have to go to a temple, which kind of just represented this this one day, this this place where where heaven and earth uh, overlapped, just kind of in this one place in the temple, and especially in the holy of holies. The amazing thing that we see with Jesus is that he becomes the center of that overlap. He becomes the one that brings heaven and earth together in himself, and that is why he is Emmanuel, because in him God is with us. And I love this. I love looking at the scriptures in this way because it just puts a lot of the focus on God rather than on us. I think lots of times we we like to make a lot of the story about us when I really think that the grand narrative, the grand story of the Bible is the story of what God is doing. He is the main character in that story. Um, not us. And what I see him doing throughout all of the, the, the story arc, all the way from this first verse in Genesis, all the way to Revelation, is that he is, in, he is involved in that project of drawing near and drawing near to us and bringing heaven and earth together. And that's why I think Genesis 1-1 starts with God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that is why Revelation ends with that coming together of that heavens and the earth. God accomplishes, God will accomplish what he set out to do. Now, when I uh, preached the sermon a couple, uh, a, f- a few weeks ago on the earth, on the importance of the earth, um, I know that some people had a few questions uh, specifically about um, maybe some concepts like uh, like the rapture, or there's even a few verses in uh, Thessalonians, I believe, where, where Paul specifically says um, that he is, to, to be away from the body is to be at home uh, with the Lord. So uh, I don't want to kind of confuse you all too much. We're not going to go super deep into that, but I did want to reference it just in case I know some of you may be listening to what I'm saying and being like, no, 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 that's heresy. That's not biblical. That's not what it's all about. I, I, I want you to understand that that is still a part of God's plan. Uh, this, this, uh, this leaving of the earth and joining together with him. You know, Jesus, when he sees the, um, when he talks to the thief on the cross, he tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. He, he specifically says that, today you will be with me in paradise. But the only point I'm trying to make is that that is not the ultimate end goal. A lot of theologians talk about that state when we, when we leave our bodies and go to be with, with God in heaven as the intermediary state. That's the term that they use. And intermediary means it's just kind of, it's the in the middle period. That is what is just kind of happening before the final end, the resurrection, and the joining together of heaven and earth. If you look at the book of Revelation, it describes a new heavens and a new earth, and we as humans are on that new earth where God has brought those two realms together. That is the actual end goal. The only reason I've kind of been harping on this is because I worry that we've made that 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 middle state the goal. We are just we are so convinced that that is the point of this life is to leave this earth behind, leave these bodies behind and go to be with God in that middle state, that intermediary state. But I really think that it really is good news that the final state, the final goal of all of this is a joining together of those two realms of heaven and earth. And God is permanently with his people from that day forward. To me, that is really encouraging. That is really really good news. I love the language Revelation uses specifically about God being uh, able to wipe away every tear. He is 
there for you. He is there for us. We don't long. We no longer have to live in this weird uh, expectation of the future. But we will finally be in a place where we are with God, Emmanuel, God with us. We get a taste of that in Jesus. I think we get a taste of that in the church. But I, for one, am incredibly looking forward to that final day when it will be true in total reality. Not that intermediary state in heaven, but rather that final state, that final place of the bringing together of those two realms. So that's what I wanted to focus on today, just because I want to set up the story uh, from the beginning. I want us to understand what is going on, especially in these very first few verses of Genesis. What we see in the first few verses of Genesis is God involved in that effort, that effort of being with us, of bringing heaven and earth together. And that's what the Garden of Eden is all about. The Garden of Eden is that place where heaven and earth come together. You saw that a little bit in the beginning of the Bible Project video. The Garden of Eden is that place where those two overlap. So next week, we're going to get into the physical creation of that garden, of that Garden of Eden, following through in the following verses. Hopefully next week we'll be able to cover more than just one verse. I'm not going to try to do one verse per Sunday, but I do want to really lay the groundwork right here at the very beginning. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the work that you have done, the work that you are doing in drawing near to us and, um, and you know, getting rid of that separation uh, that, that exists. We thank you that in your power, you are the powerful creator God who created everything. And you are that, that, that powerful God. You are the one that is... Uh, wanting a relationship with us. You are the one that wants to be with us. I'm uh, so encouraged by that news. I'm so excited about the fact that that's what you want because that's what I want to. I want to be with you, God, and I'm so thankful that you want to be with us as well. So I just wanted to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.